0: Our scripture reading this afternoon is from Luke 15. The passage can be found on page 9 of the bulletin and is projected above. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called out to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but his, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Paul. Okay, kids, uh, I mentioned earlier your Trinity Kids Bulletin, and that there is a spot on there for you to to jot down three things that I'm going to specifically mention and that I want you to listen for. So the first is main event. Uh, Secondly, I want you to listen for an illustration about non-stop audition, a non-stop audition, and then finally, a cliffhanger. So main event, non-stop audition and a cliffhanger. So with that, let let me pray for us as we look at this great passage together. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we pray that you would draw near to us now by your spirit, and that by the power of your spirit, you would open your word to us, that you would unstop our ears, that you would open our eyes, that you would soften our hearts, that we might come to know and love Jesus because we know the way in which we have been loved by him. And we pray it all in his name, amen. Okay, kids, I want you to picture this for a moment here. I want you to imagine that you go out to the mailbox and you actually, first of all, have a piece of mail in there for you, okay? Which I know is kind of a unique thing in and of itself, but it's this really beautiful invitation, and it's addressed to you, and you open it, and you see that it's an invitation to your best friend's birthday party. And on the invitation, you see that it says the party is at main event, okay? And this is where parents, you need to remember that this is the best thing for your kids, okay? Maybe not what you would choose as the the greatest party you've been to, Um, but at main event, kids, you get unlimited tokens. You get to play all the games that you want. You can bowl and you can play unlimited laser tag as well. They're also gonna provide unlimited pizza for you. And this birthday party isn't just gonna last for two hours, okay? This birthday party is gonna last all day and it's going to conclude with Mrs. Sasser's birthday cake from Hurley House, okay? This is gonna be an incredible party. So uh, uh, adults at this point just insert all expenses paid trip to the uh, destination of your choice, okay? Now imagine you get that invitation and you read that invitation and then you go, you know what, no thanks. I'm gonna pass because what I would rather do on this Saturday is go out in the 100 degree heat and do yard work until it's all done and then I'm gonna spend the rest of the day doing my homework, okay? Now, that would be insane, right? I mean, crazy to reject an invitation like that. But I I mention that because as crazy as that sounds to us, that is just this little slice, this this little picture of the way in which we treat this invitation that God offers to us. So the way the Bible talks about our relationship to God is that it says that he created us in his image to enjoy this rich life with him and to do so in, in this beautiful world that he made. That's what he intends for us. But what we do over and over again is to reject that invitation, to say, no thanks, I don't want really anything to do with that. And that's actually a picture of what the Bible describes as sin. And so a lot of times when we think about sin, we think about disobeying God's law. And it definitely is that, but but it's actually something much more than that. It's way worse than that. Because what sin really is, is it's a rejection of the God who loves you and made you for himself. It's a rejection of this joy-filled life that he intends for you. And that's actually some of what you get in this parable. It's this picture of these two different sons who are rejecting this love and welcome of their father. But the other thing that that you see in this parable is not just the rejection of the son. What you get in this parable is this incredible picture of a father who relentlessly pursues his sons and one who graciously welcomes them back to himself, in this case, with a literal embrace and a huge party, and what I want us to see this afternoon is that that is a picture of who the God of the Bible really is, that's the kind of gracious welcome that he extends to us. And so uh, part of our rhythm uh, as a church is to take these first few weeks of the ministry year every fall and to, uh, to revisit some part of uh, our, our mission or our vision as a church. And so uh, what we're going to do this year is to look some at our mission statement that tells us some about who we are and why we exist. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to flip over your bulletin and you'll find on the back there our mission statement. So this is why we exist as a church. Trinity exists to embrace, embody, and extend the redemptive message of Jesus to the people and places of Fort Worth and beyond. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is to look at our mission statement some, but the way we're going to do that this fall is through the lens of the welcome of the gospel. And uh, uh, when I use that term gospel, this is important uh, to know as well. When I say gospel, what we are talking about is this redemptive message of Jesus that is, a, that is central to the whole Bible. And, and it's central to our life as a church. And so it, it's this good news of what God has done in and through Jesus. And so if you're visiting with us today, this is really what we're all about as a church. It really is the, the, the core of who we are. It's, it's uh, that around which everything in our life together circles it's why we exist and so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is look first at what it means to embrace this welcome of the father's love for us to embrace that welcome and then uh, next week we'll look some at what it means to embody that welcome in our life together and then finally the third week we're going to look at how we extend that welcome to our friends to our neighbors and and to our city and so this week uh we're going to focus on embracing that welcome And we're gonna do it by looking at this parable. So uh, two headings for us this afternoon. The first is this. It's the rejection of the Father's welcome. And then uh, we'll look in a moment at the staggering grace of the Father's welcome. So first, the rejection of the Father's welcome. Let me give a little bit of context here. Um, I had Paul read those first two verses because what those do is they they set up uh, the, the, the audience here to whom Jesus is telling this parable. So verse one says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, him, to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so those are our two groups here. You've got, on the one hand, the, the tax collectors and the sinners, and, and what Luke says is that they are drawn to Jesus, and if you're at all familiar with the gospel accounts, that is what you see over and over again, that tax collectors, sinners, those who are the outcasts of society are those that are drawn to him over and over again. That's one group. The other group are the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the religious leaders of the day, and the way that, that uh, Luke describes them here as those who are grumbling, they see that the kind of welcome that Jesus is extending to those people and they can't stomach it. And so they're, they're, they're angry about it. And it's not just that he associates, that Jesus associates with these people, it's that he eats with them. And, and to eat with somebody in the ancient world was a big deal because it meant on some level that you were accepting them into your presence in that way. And so what, what Jesus does is he tells this parable, it's often called the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really a parable about two lost sons. And we're gonna see that that it's not just the younger son who's lost, but the older as well. And it's that they have both rejected their father's welcome. And so the the one that's probably most obvious to us though is this younger son and the way that he rejects his father. So if you look at verse 12, you'll see this. He says, "And and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, you hear that and you might think, okay, What's the big deal, right? Basically what he's doing is he's asking for his inheritance a little bit early, right? Well, uh, it's a huge deal here for a number of reasons, and it's a rejection of his father for a number of reasons. Normally, the time that you receive an inheritance is when the father would die. And so for for this son to, to ask for it now is really to say, you know what, I'd rather have your stuff than have you. I'd rather have what's coming to me when you're gone than to have this relationship with you now. And so there there is this sense in which which he's almost wishing that his father was dead because he wants what comes to him at that point. And and the other thing to notice about this is that um, it's not like he's asking his father to liquidate part of his 401k, all right? Um, Wealth was bound up in land. And so to, to distribute his inheritance to his son would have required them to sell off half of this land. And so it would have destroyed his father's financial position. It would have been closer to to a a father selling off half of the stock that he owns in the family company, which would have been devastating to him. And then, then finally, it's a rejection because this would have been incredibly shameful in that world. It would have been incredibly shameful for this son to have asked it, and it would have been unthinkable for a father to grant this sort of request but he does, and he would've looked like a fool to everybody around him. And so the son takes this inheritance, it says that, that, that he goes off to a distant land, he squanders it on reckless living and blows all of it. Now, um, there, there are aspects of this that, um, that, that might feel a little culturally specific, and you kinda of think like, how does that map on to our situation, right? Well, the, it, it maps on in this way, what we get in the son is this sobering picture of what we do with God. Because the the son is essentially saying, Father, I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. And see, that's exactly what we say to God. And it's what we've been saying to God from the very beginning. This is the story of humanity that goes all the way back to the fall in Genesis 3. So that there is something that is at work in your heart And there's something that's at work in my heart that says, God, give me what I want and get your hands off my life. I want what I've got coming to me and I am out of your house. I don't want you telling me what to do with my life. So for example, I want this money and this wealth that's coming to me, but I don't want you to tell me what to do with it. Or I want to enjoy this great gift of my sexuality but I don't want you telling me that the only context in which you really get to enjoy that is in marriage. Give me what I want and get your hands off my life. And so here's the deal. Underneath all of this is this fundamental belief that God is holding out on us. That he's really not good because we think this, if he really loved me, he'd let me do what I want. If he really loved me he'd give me everything that I'd want he would in the garden for example let me eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil but he said I can't and it's because he's holding out on me and so that that is the heart of all of our sin and so what occurs then is that that's the way that we reject this love and this welcome and run to a far country that's one way of rejecting the father's welcome and it's probably the most obvious as I mentioned in this parable but here's the deal the older son also rejects his father. It just looks a little bit different from the other. So, so what does the older son rejection look like? Well, you, you see it in how he reacts to the way that his father welcomes back his younger brother. So we're gonna look more closely at that welcome in a minute here, but, but take a look at verse 28. So that the older brother hears this celebration going on, this massive party that's happening, and he immediately gets angry. And he says this, Uh, in, uh, in, sorry, verse 28, he says this, but he was angry and refused to go in. So what's he angry about? Well, he's angry at the way that his father has welcomed his brother back. And so he says this in verse 29, and he he says this to his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So I I wanna press pause here, because uh, if you're familiar with this parable, you know that this is not the right response, right? You know that Jesus is gonna have something to say about this, and so it's really easy to hear the older brother's words and sort of throw him under the bus, right? But what I want you to try to do is step back for a moment and try to put yourself in his shoes. Your degenerate younger brother has wasted his inheritance, which, by the way, has cut into your inheritance because that property got cut in half, and so now it's not worth what it was previously. He went off and lived uh, in, this, in the way to squander his entire inheritance and he's brought all kinds of shame, not just on your father, but on you and on your entire family name. And now, after all of that, after all that he's done, your father, when he returns and comes crawling back, welcomes him in, puts this robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and then throws a massive party And so just think for a minute about how you would respond in that moment. We would do exactly what the older brother does here. And so what he says is, what's the deal? Like I have served you all of these years. I have never disobeyed you. I've done everything that you told me to do and you never threw me a party like this. You never gave me a young goat. This is not fair. How is it in any way fair? You owe me this. And here's the thing about that, it's in that one sentence, in verse 29, after his father has come out to him, that says everything about how he views his relationship with his father. And what it says is that he views it as a relationship that's based on what he does. And he's got no awareness here of the grace and kindness that his father has shown to him, and that's part of why this is so dangerous. So if if the younger brother rejected the father's welcome by his disobedience, the older brother is rejecting his father's welcome by his supposed obedience. He's rejected his father's welcome by his self-righteousness. And so he's just as lost as his younger brother. It's just that, as Henry Nouwen says, he's lost while still at home. And so here's why I think this uh, this is so important for us. I know not everybody here is a Christian. But there are a lot of you who are Christians and have been so for a long time. Where you may have grown up in the church and you don't have the story like the younger brother in the parable, right? You never went off the rails. You never squandered your inheritance. You never went to the far country, which is great, by the way. That is a real blessing, it's a real gift. But if that's your story, then it can become really easy to start thinking that you are the good ones. That you know what? God might actually owe me something. I've done everything he asked me to, right? And so I have this sense of of, of God being in my debt. Look at all these years that I've served him. And, And the tough thing about this is that we would never verbalize what I just verbalized. And yet it's running just below the surface as this sort of undercurrent in our lives. So let me give just one example of maybe how this could show itself. I want you to think back for a moment to the last time that something really hard happened in your life. So it could be this. How easy was it in that moment then to get angry with God? Where you think, for example, I'm trying with all that I have in me to raise my kids to know and love Jesus, and yet my family is still a total mess. Or I'm trying with everything within me to love my husband, and yet he's so cold to me. I've tried to be a great friend to her, and yet she stabbed me in the back. God, what is the deal? And there's this anger towards the Lord that arises. Now let me say this. There is a place, a right place, to be angry with God. And if you've ever read the Psalms, you'll see it over and over again there. But here's what's different about the kind of anger of older brothers, and it's this. The, the anger of the older brother is at the core an anger that demands that God owes you something. That he owes you something based on what you've done because you've been obedient. And that's why this is so dangerous. Because when you relate to God based on your obedience, then in that moment, you have lost sight of the grace and the welcome that he's shown to you. And so it begins to show up in our lives in all the ways that it shows up in the older brother's life. You're angry with God. You're resentful of other people, especially when God shows grace to them. And you live a life that is lacking in joy because your life is so consumed with what you do it starts maybe in a bit of pride if things go well. It devolves into a place of exhaustion and then it goes to finally a place of despair because you're relating to God based on what you do. So kids, it's sort of like you begin living your life as a sort of non-stop tryout for a team or a non-stop audition for a part and that kind of life is exhausting and it's joyless. Now, why is that so dangerous? Well, it's dangerous first and foremost because ultimately what it does is it puts you in danger of missing your need of Jesus. And here's where we've got to remember the context. This is why Jesus is speaking this to the scribes and the Pharisees because that is exactly what they were doing. They'd lost sight of their need of Jesus, whereas these tax collectors and sinners knew their need deeply. That's one danger. Here's the other danger, though, that we might not think as much about, and it's this it puts you in danger of missing out on the joy of life with your father, the joy of of experiencing his love for you, the, the, the joy of living this life with a sort of settled confidence and assurance that he really does love you, that you really are accepted, that you really are welcome to him, and it comes to you apart from anything that you've done or haven't done. And so those are two ways that we can reject the father's welcome. One is the way of the younger brother. The other is the way of the older brother. And so we get to this this point in the parable and we kind of go, okay, what do we do then? What do we need to see in the other parts of this parable? Well, secondly, we need to see the staggering grace of the father's welcome. And so here's what's so amazing about this parable. This is why this parable is so well known. And it's It's that this gracious welcome that's present in this parable from the father comes to both the younger son and the older son. So first here, God's grace to younger brothers. So if we pick back up with the younger brother where we left off before, uh, he gets to this place where he finds himself at rock bottom. He's squandered everything, he's put himself to work, he's not getting paid there, and he ends up in this place, kids, where in verse 16, he's eating pig food, all right? It says he's longing to be fed with the pogs, the, the pogs, pogs, that's a different thing, pogs, pods that the pigs ate. And it says no one gave him anything. And so Jesus says that in this moment, as he's here in the trough, he comes to himself. And so he comes up with this plan. He knows what he's gonna do. He's gonna go back to his father, he's gonna confess his sin, and he knows that there is no possible way that he could ever be counted as a son again. But what he's gonna try for is to go back as a hired servant because he knows that the the hired servants in his father's house eat better than he is right now. And so that's his plan. And so he sets off to go do it. And the question at this point in the parable that we are all asking is, what is the father gonna do? How will he respond to this son who shamed him so badly, who hated him in such an obvious way, Who squandered all of his inheritance. Verse 20. But while he, that is the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father is watching and he's waiting for him. There is no telling how many days that his father spent looking out over the horizon, waiting for his son to return says he felt compassion. So that the second that he sees his son over the horizon, he's so excited that the only thing that he knows to do is to run out and meet his son. And here's the thing about this. Men in the ancient Near East didn't run. It's actually something that, was, that would have been embarrassing, another shameful aspect. This father does not care because he wants more than anything to see his son And when he sees his son and runs out and meets him, it says the very first thing that he does is embrace him and kiss him. And and literally the, the, the language here is that he fell upon his neck. You can imagine that kind of closeness in a hug and he kissed him. And in the midst of this embrace, the younger son begins his I'm sorry speech. He begins saying all of what he had planned to say to his father and his father stops him. He doesn't let him finish. And he turns to his servant and says, I need that robe right now, I need the family ring, and I need those brand new shoes. Because what's happening now is that I am not welcoming this my son back as a servant. This is my son. And because this is my son, we're gonna have a party. So kill the fattened calf and invite the entire town because this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so here's the question for you. Is that your view of God? Is this how you picture the God of the Bible? Is it how you picture him responding to you when you have blown it? When you have squandered your inheritance, when you have have gone about in all of this reckless living and then you try to come back home to him? Do you picture him as one who's standing and straining, waiting for you to come back? Who longs for you to return, who's gonna run out to meet you, to embrace you, to fall upon your neck and kiss you, to place his robe upon you, put his ring upon your finger, to clothe you with all of these signs that say, you are my son, and you're back, and that's all that matters. See, this is who the God of the Bible really is. He's one who loves wayward, lost children who finally come home. And he's gonna do anything and everything that he has to in order to get them back. That is the grace that he shows to younger brothers. Here's what's amazing too, though. He also shows this kind of staggering grace to older brothers. And this is really good news for a lot of us in this room. So remember here where the older brother was. He's outside of the party because he's furious at his father. He cannot stand the grace that his father has shown to his younger brother. So what does the father do? How does he respond to that? Verse 28, it says that he went out to him and he entreated him. Again, this is something that a master of a banquet in the middle of a huge feast would never have done. You would never leave your party to go out to this kid who's pitying or who's throwing a pity party. Uh, But again, this father goes to his son. Verse 31, he says this. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. What's he doing? He's reassuring him of his presence and of his love. He's saying, everything that I have is yours. And what's beautiful about this is that the term that he uses here for son is this affectionate term for a child. You see, what, what he's saying to him is that you aren't just a servant either. I know you've been thinking in terms of all that you've done for me, but you, my boy, are my son, and you are welcome in this house. And so we don't actually find out what happens with the older son. That's intentional. It ends as this cliffhanger. We don't know whether he goes in to the party or not. But here's what I want us to see. It's that the father extends the same grace and welcome to the older son, just as he does to the younger. You see, this is what the gracious welcome of God looks like. It's the kind of gracious welcome that that, that goes out to younger brothers and to older brothers alike. And so uh, Jerry Bridges has a great quote that describes this kind of grace that is all-encompassing in this way. He says this, your worst days are never so bad that you were, on, that you were beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you were beyond the, re- or beyond the need of God's grace. That's the sort of grace that he offers to you. And the question for us, though, is how can he do that? How is it possible for the father to extend this kind of grace and welcome to sinful people who have rejected him? The answer to that question is because God paid a much greater price than the father in this parable did. So the the, the cost of the father's grace in the parable was mainly financial and social, right? It was incredibly shameful for him to, to, to welcome his sons back. And it cost him a whole lot of money. But, but the cost of God the Father's grace was infinitely greater. And that's because the one who's telling this parable, telling this parable to these religious leaders and sinners, to these older brothers and these younger brothers, to us, to you and to me, is the one who was on his way to Jerusalem. And what would happen when he got to Jerusalem was that he would be hung on a cross as a criminal and crucified for your sin and for mine. And he did that in order to guarantee that this gracious welcome would always be extended to you. See, this is what's on offer to you. This is the kind of love that the Father extends to us. It's the kind of love that that prompted him to send his one and only son in order to have you back. And so here's the call. Embrace that welcome. Embrace that welcome of the Father who has extended this kind of grace to you. Come home to him. See, it's this grace that's at the heart of who we are as a church. This is what we're all about, is this welcome of the gospel. And it's this grace that's on offer to you right now in and through Jesus. Will you receive him? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this staggering welcome, this unbelievable grace that you extend to us. Lord, it is, uh, it is wild in so many ways. It is the kind of grace that we would never have imagined, never thought of, because it's something that we could never ever deserve, and yet you are lavish in your grace to us through your Son. And so Father, we pray that we would embrace that welcome, that we would receive it, that we would love you in return. And we pray this all in Christ's name, amen.